Hello, this is Father Reed Hensling at All Saints Episcopal Church, and we are back for another week of the Word of God. This week we are looking at Proper 9, Sunday, July 5th through Saturday, July 11th. And if you're looking at the end of the Book of Common Prayer under the Daily Lectionary, Year 2, you want to look for Proper 9, and you'll see the Scriptures listed. Now this week we'll be looking at Numbers and Deuteronomy. Interestingly, in Deuteronomy chapter 1, chapter 3, chapter 31, and chapter 34, that's pretty eclectic. And we'll be continuing our study of Romans. We'll be looking at Romans 8, 26 to 30 on Monday and ending up with Romans chapter 10, 14 to 21 on Saturday. And then we are continuing our study of Matthew starting with Matthew 23 and ending with Matthew 24 at the end of chapter 24, verse 51. Now, again, what we're doing with the daily lectionary is we're looking at an Old Testament reading, a New Testament reading, which is, of course, Romans, and a gospel reading. And so a gospel reading is going to be Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. For those of you that want to read the Psalter, the Psalm, for that appointed day, you can look at the Book of Common Prayer and read the Psalms. But I'm not reviewing the Psalms particularly with you. All right, let's look at a couple of chapters in Numbers, Numbers 27. And speaking of Bibles, I'm using the NIV 1978. I always like to know the copyright year. What is the year that the um, translation was made? So this is 1978. November 27th. I'm November 27th. Numbers 27. Jesus, uh, Joshua is going to succeed Moses. So this is very important. This is number, uh, verses 12 to 23. Joshua is going to succeed Moses. Now remember, Moses is this extraordinary figure that has brought them from Egypt with a significant number of years of slavery and leads them out of Egypt. This is the book of Exodus and leads them to the promised land. But Moses does not get to go into the promised land. And what's going to happen is Joshua is going to lead them into the promised land. In fact, for those of you that are looking ahead to proper 10, we're going to be looking at the book of Joshua. So Joshua is going to succeed him. The Lord said to Moses, verse 18, Take Joshua, son of Nun, a man in whom is the Spirit, and lay your hand on him. This is why we lay hands on people for leadership. Have him stand before Eleazar, the priest in the entire assembly, and commission him in your presence. Give him some of your authority so the whole Israelite community will obey him. So leadership's a very, very important commodity. When you're leading people, you want to have great leadership. Joshua turns out, for those of you that know the Old Testament well, to have been an excellent leader. Verse 23, then he laid his hands on him and commissioned him as the Lord instructed through Moses. So in Numbers 27, we have the transmission of authority from Moses to Joshua because Moses is going to pass away and Joshua will have a new commission. Numbers 32 on Monday, Numbers 32, and we're looking at 1 through 6 and 16 to 27, Numbers 32. And he's talking about the tribes. And 
the wandering of 40 years, again, more historical information about uh, the Israelites. And then finally, in Numbers uh, 35, Numbers 35, the last chapter is 36, Numbers 35, we have the cities of refuge and more information about uh, Israel and their dealing and what God's rule is and his laws. So peppered in the book of Numbers are um, historical information, information about the people and uh, the information that God wants to share with them in terms of uh, keeping his law. And so Numbers reminds us of that. When we go to Deuteronomy, which is the fifth book of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the fifth book, we have in the first chapter this wonderful, again, appointment of leaders and the words that Moses spoke to the all of Israel, chapter 1, verse 1, in the desert east of the Jordan. And Moses proclaims to the Israelites all that the Lord had commanded him, him concerning them. So what's happening is Moses is going to be their leader, and he's going to deliver to the Israelites God's word. It's a dual role and very, very important uh, for Moses. Okay? So again, we're recounting some important history in chapter 1, 1 to 18 on Wednesday. And on Thursday, we're looking at chapter 3, 18 to 28. On Thursday, we are looking at chapter 3, 18 to 28. Moses was forbidden to cross the Jordan. Remember I told you that Moses did not go into the Jordan. He laid his hands on Joshua. And he says, At that time I pleaded with the Lord, verse 23, O sovereign Lord, you have begun to show your servant your greatness and your strong hand. For what God is there in heaven and earth who can do the deeds and mighty works that you do. Let me go over and see the good land beyond the Jordan, that fine hill country in Lebanon. But because the Lord was angry with me and would not listen to me, that is enough, the Lord said. Do not speak to me any more about this matter. Go to the top of Pisgah and look west and north and south and east. Look at the land with your own eyes since you are not going to cross the Jordan. So he prohibits him from crossing the Jordan, but he shows him what the land looks like. And again, in, in verse 28, he commissions Joshua and encourages and strengthens him, for he will lead the people across and will cause them to inherit the land that you will see. Now, the reason this is so important is it's important in order to have a people, you have to have land. So they needed to have land, and God had to provide the land. The problem was, as we'll see next week as we begin in Joshua, is there people in the land that Joshua has to lead the people to and deliver them from those people that are in the land. Now, we have two more scriptures in uh, Deuteronomy, chapter 31, Deuteronomy 31, which, again, I commend to your reading. That's going to be on Friday, and 34, which is going to be on Saturday. Again, this is Joshua succeeding Moses. So you understand what we're trying to do this week is to show that there's going to be a transfer of power and authority from Moses to Joshua, and it's God's will for Joshua to be shown to be the leader, to be lifted up as the leader, to be prayed for as the leader. 
And that's what you want to do. You want to ideally ask God who should be the leader of this group. In chapter 34, which is the last book of Deuteronomy, you find the death of Moses. And so Moses dies. Verse 9, Joshua, son of Nun, was filled with the spirit of wisdom because Moses had laid his hands on him. The Israelites listened to him and did what the Lord had commanded Moses. Since then, no prophet has risen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face, who did all those miraculous signs and wonders the Lord led him to do in Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all his officials into this whole land. For no one has ever shown the mighty power or performed the awesome deeds that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. So Moses turns out to be one of the greatest people in the history of the Jewish people. But Joshua's a pretty significant person also, as you'll see when we look at it next week. All right, let's go back to Romans as we look at our second book today. Romans chapter 8, the great 8th chapter, very famous chapter, the 8th chapter. I strongly commend it to your reading. Chapter 8, 26 to 30 on Monday, 26 to 30. The Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. The Spirit intercedes with us and groans in word that words cannot express. So we have the coming of the Spirit where the Spirit teaches us the truths of God. In 31 to 39, we have, if God is for us, who can be against us during this pandemic and this crisis that we're in right now? You know, do you believe that God is with you? Do you believe, can you trust in him? Is, do you believe he's taking care of you? Do you believe that he's on your side? And so we have that extraordinary closing. I'm convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor demons, nor the present nor the future, nor any powers, Neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus our Lord. So that's the power of the Lord, the power of God in our lives. He's that He's that present with us and that nothing can overcome our estrangement between us and God. That God is with us and no power can stop him loving us and saving us. And then we go to Romans 9. Now Romans 9 is a very difficult chapter, and I wouldn't want to pretend in this short uh, teaching to uh, share all the intricate uh, theology of it, Uh, but he is now addressing Israel. So read it closely, read it slowly. Much of it depends on your knowledge of the Old Testament, because there's lots of Old Testament texts that are present And so on Wednesday and Thursday, you're looking at that chapter. And this has to do with um, the subject that a lot of people don't like to talk about, and that is the subject of predestination, the sovereignty of God, uh, what place God uh, is present, and what kind of power does he have in your mind, uh, how, how close are you to him, uh, do you where what is your position in Christ? We have this very cryptic verse on verse eighteen. Therefore, God has mercy on whom He wants to have mercy, and He hardens who He wants to harden. So, what I say is, seek the Lord, follow the Lord, do what He says, listen to Him. Do not talk back to God, as He says in verse nineteen. Shall what is formed say to Him who formed it, Why do you make me like this? Does not the Potter have the right to? Make out of the same lump of clay some pottery for noble purposes and some for common use. God is ultimately in charge, and that's a very important theological concept. And it's also a very difficult one. Um, 
and God does what he wants to do. Now, what we are praying for is that we are in his will. We are doing his will. He is showing us his favor. He is working for our good, which is the end of Romans chapter 8. In chapter 10, which we find on Friday and Saturday, there's some several great verses there. Again, he's speaking to the Jewish people in chapter 8. I'm sorry, 9, 10, and 11. But we have the very famous verse, verse 9, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you confess or are saved. So your confession of faith is absolutely crucial to your relationship with God. As the scripture says, everyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Okay? And there's no difference between Jew and Gentile. There's, you know, there's no difference between your skin color, your background. God favors one over the other. The same Lord is Lord of all, and he richly blesses all who call on him. And so what constitutes salvation? Everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, how are they going to call on the name of the Lord? It says in verse 14. How are they going to call on the one they haven't believed yet? And how are they going to believe if someone hasn't hearing the message? And how are they going to hear if someone's preaching? How are they going to preach unless they're sent? So the person that has the gospel and a proper understanding of it and goes out and shares it, we pray that people will hear it. So that's why we pray that people will hear this teaching, read the scriptures, understand the scriptures, listen to what the Holy Spirit's telling you about the scriptures, and then respond to the scriptures in a very positive way. Now, where does faith come from? Verse 17, hearing the message, hearing the gospel, and the message is heard for the word of Christ. So this is why your reading of the Bible is so very important. You want to hear the word of Christ. You want to hear the word of the Lord. And so what he does in the Saturday reading, 14 to 21 of chapter 10, he lists some scriptures to support his view uh, in the Old Testament. Again, Paul very well versed in the Old Testament, very much understanding what uh, has been said in the Old Testament, and then he applies it to the New because there's so much prophecy. So look at the end of Romans chapter 8. Chapter 9 is pretty difficult. Chapter 10 is much easier to understand. Chapter 9 um, uh, is difficult because we're not used to thinking of God in that way. In Matthew 23, go to Matthew's gospel, the seven woes, all right, chapter 23, 1 through 12, he's getting on the case of the, of the Pharisees, and this is a very, very, very strong teaching in chapter 23, which takes up Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, and he has some very strong words to say to them. I think when you read this, you don't want, I think it's, again, good to read as it is, and then think to yourself, although this is difficult, of where you fall into the categories that Jesus is rebuking. Are there any of those categories that you find yourself also repeating just like a Pharisee would? I doubt that all of us are exempt from all of these things, all these woes that God, Jesus, uh, pronounces upon the um the Pharisees. So it's, again, a very challenging book. It's a very challenging chapter, but Jesus is challenging. In chapter 24, which we see on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, we have something as difficult as chapter 23 in terms of 
following it, and that is the sign of the end of the age. You know, no one knows when Jesus is going to come. They use this as the locus classicus text to prove when Jesus comes. But he says in verse 36, quite famously, no one knows the day or the hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only in the Father. What are we supposed to do, Jesus? Verse 42, keep watch. You do not know on what day your Lord will come. Verse 44, be ready, be ready. The Son of Man will come in an hour you don't expect. So, Jesus is talking in chapter 24 about his coming, and he's telling them what's going to happen. Now, the problem is it's hard to interpret exactly what that means, and the difficulty is, you know, when are all these events taking place? People have been prophesying and people have been predicting the end of the world for a very long time. Um, Paul's time, they thought it was very, very recent. This is First Thessalonians chapter 4 and 5. But in fact, obviously it hasn't happened yet. What's the key takeaway? The key takeaway is that you are ready. The key takeaway is that you are prepared. And he has some wonderful parables in there uh, in chapter 24. And we'll see next week when we look at chapter 25, we'll have three more parables of being prepared. Now, why does Jesus do that? He doesn't want people to go to hell. He wants you to be prepared. He wants you to know these things. And by the grace and mercy of God and the power of the Holy Spirit, we make good decisions for the Lord to follow him. Call on the name of the Lord. You'll be saved. Romans chapter 10, verse 9. And so, and so that we will be living and working and, and thriving in the kingdom of heaven. Okay. So who is the faithful and wise servant who the master puts in charge? Gives him food at the proper time. It would be good for that servant whose master finds him doing so when he returns. Are you doing the things that God's asked us to do? Are you doing the things that he has called you to do? Are you prepared to stand before the Son of Man, as it says so brilliantly in, in Luke's gospel? Are you prepared to stand before the Son of Man and give an account of your life? So, as you work through these wonderful scriptures this week, prayerfully consider God speaking to your soul and your mind through Numbers, through Romans, and through Matthew. Lord God, bless your people abundantly as they read the Holy Scriptures. Give them the revelation of the Holy Spirit as they seek to follow you. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Have a great week of reading, and I'll see you next week for Proper 10. God bless you.